This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to a very special West Coast Kramerica takeover. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. You invent, you disrupt, or you die. That's the mantra of so many businesses out here. The tsunami of invention and disruption reaches far beyond this intense city and the valley that abuts it. The storm clouds darkening the fortunes of others in the inevitable riptide of creative destruction. The reverberations rattle whole industries with a wake so brutal that they often determine the direction of stock prices in whole segments or even the market itself. On a day where the drop, Dow dropped 55 points, S&P 500 lost 0.16% and the Nasdaq decreased 0.24%. Uh, let's just deal with the news and so you understand the prism. Take the biggest stock news of the day, the possible combination between Schwab and TD Ameritrade, with the former potentially buying the latter in a $26 billion combination that would create what might be an unbeatable $5 trillion online colossus. These two companies have been sworn opponents ever since electronic trading became the way of the future more than 25 years ago. They and E-Trade have been in a battle for assets. I mean, it's come on, it's been incredible. And assets and commissions, the latter knowing no bounds, with pervasive advertising, fancy trading platforms, and most of all, yes, that's right, the right price to trade. They could charge low commissions versus, say, the commissions I charged when I worked at Goldman Sachs because of their scale. They could literally make it up in volume. Their stocks and that of E-Trade, often mentioned in the same breath, have tended to rise and fall with the gyrations of the stock market. Although, over time, the waning interest by individuals, many of whom have been brainwashed into buying and holding a lot of suboptimal ETFs, has given you a secular decline in the business. Still, profits have been solid, and after three-fronted Verdun-like battle that they've been undergoing... They settled into kind of a profitable uh, moment with Schwab becoming the premier asset gatherer of our time. Besides being a commission juggernaut, asset gathering being a very profitable business. And then along comes Robinhood, an online startup charging no commissions for stock trading. Why don't you just consider them a perk for giving giving them your assets? And you know what? Nothing's ever been the same. The company began a half dozen years ago and rapidly took off on the fingers of millennials who actually like stocks. They like to buy and sell them. How fast has it grown? It's about the size of the much more famous E-Trade, more than 4 million accounts. More importantly, they are just the kind of clients you want, younger, active, enthused, and not beaten down by wise men who tell them it's a fool's game to try to make money. They try and they succeed. Robin Hood. 
that character who robs the rich to provide to the poor. A mythical figure, a constant allegory, and perfect name for a company that robs from the commission-charging overlords and gives to the generation that likes everything for free if it's online. No Wall Street outlet would ever think of robbing for the rich. They are the rich. They like the status quo. Robin Hood founded a stone's throw from the Bureau, at least if you had a Herculean arm, sought to destroy the status quo, as so many companies out here try to do. When you want to invent or when you want to disrupt, as Robin Hood does, you have a source of ready cash. Venture capital money to the tune of, I'd say, more than $860 million? With that amount of money, you can lose a fortune on no commissions to make it up in volume. Yes, you can do it. Acid volume. As is so often the case, the incumbents didn't see it coming, or they ignored Robin Hood, figured it had to go away, right? I mean, it was no commissions? I mean, when I meet young people, though, I see them all the time in my travels. You know what they sing the praise of? Something I had never heard of I, 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 until it seeped into the young investor's consciousness. Robin Hood. Earlier this year, though, Robin Hood reached a tipping point in asset gathering that, that the incumbents like Schwab and TD Ameritrade had to respond by abandoning commissions. Consequently, when that happened, their stocks were crushed, hence the creative destruction unleashed by Silicon Valley. Now, these companies have to try to combine to cut tech spending. It's so expensive to be a broker now. Ad spending, defend their turf from the highway robbers brimming with happy VCs who don't mind losing money as long as they can cash out in the end. Cash out with high revenue growth in a stock offering not far down the road. It's the same thing with Grubhub. The food delivery company, it was the Colossus, roughly $140 stock 14 months ago, before it became clear that the venture capital-backed DoorDash decided to go for revenue growth using its private status to scorch and burn the public competition. The revenue growth that would have gone to Grubhub, no wonder a stock loses 100 bucks. With more than $2 billion in VC-provided cash, including $535 million from SoftBank, the once pristine, now alternately considered brilliant or has-been post the WeWork disaster company, DoorDash can and will mow down anyone. The detritus of this unicorn? Well, they include companies, all, uh, all sorts of companies that find themselves challenged by the cost of delivery versus typical customers. And in some cases, you know what, even the technologically savvy Domino's has been hurt, as DoorDash can mimic an entire delivery ecosystem like the one Domino's naturally has. All this week, we've been checking in with a number of institutions that use technology to increase their touch with customers, another more hidden disruptive force. We've managed to bob and weave around the 171,000 folks attending Dreamforce, the extravaganza and well, uh, that Salesforce throws once a year, and here's something we've come up with. The reason why Tiffany's, another venerable institution, might soon fall into the clutches of LVM, oh, I'm sorry, LVMH, it's out here, it's out here. I don't know if you've been following the saga, but LVMH, which is the world's largest luxury goods company, doesn't do it all alone. It uses Salesforce to provide a seamless customer experience, whether shopping in-store or online across all of its brands, which is the new omni-channel way that you must have. Now, if you were going to a Louis Vuitton store, Salesforce co-CEO Mark Benioff told me, you might see the sales rep carrying a phone or iPad with a mobile clienteling app powered by Salesforce. And it's connected to a single customer record to enable a personalized luxury experience. Now, you also may have seen this little Einstein doll on the set when I interviewed Mark. 
Well, that thing's a symbol for artificial intelligence, helping you figure out what gift you might want. And we do need help when we go to stores and we go online. Now, I bring all this up because as a Tiffany shopper, I have never, ever seen anything even remotely like that in its stores. While I like their goods, I always feel like it is the first time I have ever been to the store, despite the thousands and thousands of dollars I've spent there. I might as well be a three-eyed alien when I'm in there. I think the lack of tech spend at Tiffany is so palpable that LVMH sees it as a gem to be polished as part of its larger stable of brands, and I don't blame them. The company's management probably salivates about what can happen with its Salesforce-powered technology for customer relations management and that Tiffany client list. So let's think about this. Brokerage industry, retail industry, food delivery industry. Well, what are we thinking here? Prospective mergers, disruption, invention, and death. The latter is what happens when you can't figure out how to use technology or won't spend the money. And when that occurs, well, let's just say the entrenched incumbents out there, they either learn it, learn it sooner or, unfortunately, later. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Michael in Texas. Michael. Hey, Jim. Good to talk to you. Same. My stock is uh, Bristol Myers. And, you know, they merged that cell gene thing there. And I was wondering uh, if you thought it was going to be a doubler right away. Or... I think it's going to be terrific. As you can see, the stock's up 10 straight points, and it is not done. Dr. Cafario is going to take those merged companies, and you're going to start hearing raise numbers, raise numbers, raise numbers, raise numbers. Buy Bristol Myers, invent, disrupt, die. That's the mantra out here. you got to invent, disrupt, or you will. On that Money Tonight from CNBC One Market, United was once the black sheep of the airline cohort. But is it clear skies ahead for the company? I've got the CEO. Then while we're out in California for a week, I think it's time to take a moment to talk about the cannabis sector, which has been up in smoke. After all, this stuff has been legal out here for a couple of years now. I'm breaking down the action in the group, and it's a stock up over 100% year to date. But is there still time to get into the stock of AMD? I'm talking with the always bankable CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. been a tough year for the airlines, mostly for a reason that's beyond their control, the grounding of the 737 MAX, one of the most popular commercial planes on Earth. But some airlines have held up a lot better than others. Take United Airlines. That's the largest of the major carriers. It stocks up around 8% year-to-date. Why? Well, in part, it's because United has made major investments in technology, including customer relations management, software from Salesforce. And as I've been telling you all week, that is a major differentiator. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Oscar Munoz. He is the CEO of United Airlines Holdings. Learn more about his efforts to turn United into a more customer-friendly airline. Mr. Munoz, welcome back to Mad Money. Oscar, no one knows the pulse of America, both for business and for just regular travel, than you do. 
So tell me, are we close to a recession as so many people tell me to worry about? Or is it a pretty halcyon time to be in the airline business? Listen, and we started this, this conversation back in early of 2019, and I, I've never seen a wider gap between what is being discussed and trying to be pushed and the facts and figures that we see. So the answer is no. Um, now, we don't have as long a term of view of things, and you know we're always watching, obviously, because it's important to always be uh, sort of cognizant of those uh, potential trends, but we're not seeing it. I'm hearing from uh, just from people I know like to travel that the holiday season is already shaping up to be one of the best ever. Yeah, now December is very strong. We said that on our third quarter call, and uh, so it's nice to be there. And uh, now we don't take it for granted. We love right. all of your customers, right. and we're not taking you for granted whatsoever, so we're trying to now, improve your experience every day. If you have 14 737 maxes, does that make it so you can't make as much money as you'd like this, this uh, next two months? You know, that, that's a difficult conversation. Yeah. We have to talk about that issue purely on a safety and security aspect okay. of that. Of course it has impact, but it has lots of different impacts on the industry uh, with overall capacity and so on and so forth. We're just waiting for the right folks to say it's okay to fly, and then we're going to implement our own process to ensure that all our customers are comfortable when they actually book a flight. How do you do that? Because, look, I have total faith in Boeing, and I I will ride them because I think Boeing is, you would never put anything in the air if it weren't safe. But will people be asking, is this one of those planes? They will. Uh, And again, and this is the, the issue. We have to be absolutely uh, sort of look at it from that perspective. There will be people who are concerned. Right. And just because a regulator or a manufacturer or a, or a, a, a person like uh, United says it's safe doesn't mean you're going to believe any one of us. So we have to be very transparent. So when you book a flight with us and it involves a match, you will know. You will immediately know. And if for some reason you miss that point, right. when you get somewhere closer to your flight, we will reaccommodate you. We will rebook you. We won't charge you a fee. I mean, we just have to be that lenient and flexible uh, with regards to this just to ensure everyone's, you know, comfortable. Uh, Our our employees, the same way, right? We have flight attendants and pilots that are also going to have to get comfortable and we'll do the appropriate things is there. And as I've said before, I'll be on the first plane if that helps anyone. But, you know, I I feel the same way. It's going to be a uh, a safe aircraft. But again, it's not our view. The uh, regulators have to weigh in on that. Okay. You're out here for Dreamforce. We're not seeing your usual uh, confines. I think you don't have a tie on. No, you don't. (laughs) I think the, uh, the United Airlines is uniquely uh, more, much more technological since you came in. And I also know if you're out here with Mark Benioff and Salesforce, it means you're uniquely charitable and doing things for the community. I am a big believer, and I, people, you know, people on my staff know in 2019 we pivoted. We can't just talk about earnings per share. We have to talk about impact per share. And you're committed to impact per share, aren't you? Yeah, we truly are. And that's one of the reasons we come out to right. this fund, because we talk about you know, our, our constituents, clearly our customers, of course, our investors, uh, and then, of course, our employees are important. But the community we serve in so many ways. And one of the missions that I've received from my, my United family writ large is that in a, in a world that's increasingly divided, they choose, we choose a world united. And they've given me a lot of clarity and vision about what areas in the, in the community we can support, uh, whether it's underrepresented youth and education, whether it's assistance with any kind of crisis, uh, whether it's creating jobs and internships for people, whether it's just giving in a lot of different ways. We just had a food bank uh, that their the system went out, their cooler system, and they have $2 million worth of food for Thanksgiving. 
and they need help, and they're in crisis. So they call us, and nobody calls me. I hear it after the fact because they know they have absolute uh, sort of clarity about that. Our mission is to help others as much as possible. But back to the digital thing. That's a sure. really cool story. And right? We'll have to do a segment at some point in time. Our digital team has done an amazing job. Um, our, you know, Of course, it's digital technology, and it's all the great new things. But it really is meant to do two things. One, to make your life as a customer easier. Right. But more importantly, it's also to make our employees' life easier in taking care of you. Uh, and that's a, a kind of an underpinning that no one really appreciates. Uh, our employees are beginning to because it's just, you know what, they don't have to deal with all that sort of thing. Right. You know, right. And that's the important part. And our team, we've kind of, uh, we've created a new environment for them and it's a sort of a fast fail valley right. sort of lingo. Um, but, you know, we have some great folks that we've been able to attract. Chicago's uh, becoming a, a better tech center, so we've got some great people that do this. And I can't tell you the scores and scores of developments and, and applications that we've been able to roll out. Well, I want to try to contrast previous administration, you. Your company historically had underspent for technology. You were committed to that immediately. Uh, your company was known as, let's just say, uh, not always perfect labor relations. You committed to that immediately. I don't hear any complaints from labor. Maybe they're doing I just don't hear them. But I also know that technologically, I think you've leapfrogged. Uh, are you done with these and it's on to the next, or are these just things that you just have to continually work on? As far as... Uh, well, just like you always have to spend more money on tech. There's nothing you can do, right? No, no, no. Listen, uh, th- this is a world that you cannot stand no, still. No, why is that? Why? Is it because of the other guy? Because of the tools that you uh, see on at Salesforce? You know, yeah, there is a, there's a degree of, of catching up. I mean, technology is moving at such an incredible pace, um, and, and you as a customer begin to experience that in a lot of different uh, products that you buy, and you expect that out of legacy companies like ourselves. So we have to move in that way. It's a, it's a world that's disruptive, and the best way to avoid disruption is be disruptive yourself and, then, and get ahead of it. And it's a little bit more difficult for a company of our size and scale, right. but uh, we've been able to really move fast on some issues. I always talk about our technology in two ways. There's the, the really kind of R&D futuristic sort of right. thing that's important, but what's more important to me is the technology that helps you today. Right? I don't need to talk to you about something we're going to build in five years. It's something you actually experience. Our app is a perfect example of that. Right? It's meant to be very intuitive, right. to give you all the information that you need. Uh, and we can talk to you in a different way. And we've changed the tone of how we talk as well. We try to be a little bit more lighthearted. If you're going to you be are. De- you are. Yeah. You are. Yeah. If you're going to be delayed, it's not, you know, it's right. never great that you're, but it, again, it's an attempt to be more human. But I also want people to know uh, on time since you got, what were your on time numbers when you came in and where are they now? Uh, they're significantly better, right? right. Uh, uh, just, again, at the end of the day, all these other things that we discussed, if we can't get you safely and reliably on time to the places you want to go to on a very, very consistent basis, that is it kind of, that's entry into the game. You have to be able to do that. And that is done, by the way, with 96,000 people out there every day really caring about the fact that their mission is to take you to the place that, you know, that matters most to you. And I give them a lot of credit because it is not an easy job moving no. us around at no. all. Well, weather and air travel, all the different things that we face. Uh, and it's an important sort of development, uh, the human aspect of it. Well, I'm glad you brought that out. We don't talk about it enough, candidly. That's our job to do. We should bring it up more. And I also want to point out that when you, when I listen to you, I feel both the United States and then the global economy, you're not just domestic, no. are pretty darn good global economy good. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, there's pockets. There's always pockets. Right. Uh, we have a broad portfolio. We have one of the biggest, if not the biggest, global uh, footprint out there. And so there's, uh, most of the pockets are okay. Hong Kong has been an issue uh, sure. for obvious reasons. Uh, but Asia writ large has been okay. 
And so uh, across the board, we still see continued strength. Well, I see a, a stock that's too cheap, only up 10% for the year. It should be higher. That's Akshay <laughs> Munoz. He's the CEO of United Airlines. And I've got to tell you, the journey that this airline has taken, this, this man has taken charge, is really rather amazing. Everybody's back in. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. The cannabis stocks were bounded like crazy today. Bye, bye, bye. After a brutal seven-month-long sell-off. Sell, sell, sell. That intensified over the past couple of weeks in response to some truly horrific earnings reports. But before you take action, we got some encouraging signs. I know you're looking at them. I got to make one thing perfectly clear. The marijuana industry is just not what it was cracked up to be. And this rally may be a rare bout of strength worth lightning up to not buy. Bye, bye, bye. I used to believe the legalization of weed represented an incredible opportunity. But now that it's been legal in Canada for over a year, well, I got to admit, may not be correct. So while we're out here in California, a state that's been a real pioneer when it comes to saner drug laws, I want to hold a bit of a funeral dirge for the cannabis industry. I know that sounds dramatic and the stocks are bouncing and that's terrific, but we've got to at least open our eyes to what's happening here. Pot's simply a much smaller opportunity than many people believed even six months ago when it was supposed to be the disruptor of all time. As the major Canadian players ramp up production, the price of legal weed has plummeted. At first, I thought that maybe the supply was simply overwhelming the demand momentarily. And to some extent, that's true. But they're still moving a huge amount of volume, more volume than anyone expected. People are just paying a lot less for it. And that isn't what was supposed to be in the cards, my new bet theory. Cannabis only looks like a great opportunity when it's illegal. People pay a huge premium for black market goods. But once the government starts handing out licenses to grow the stuff, it's just a plant. Although I've been assured that there are real differences in quality between different strains. When weed is legal, pretty much anyone can grow this stuff in their basement with the right equipment. So I worry that maybe the equilibrium price for cannabis is much lower than we thought it'd be. And that's a major change. Consider the numbers from the big Canadian players. Cronus Group, second best funded operator, thanks to an investment from Altria, reported a week and a half ago and the results were ugly. While Cronus only delivered a modest revenue miss, a much, much larger earnings miss, the big issue was pricing. Volume was very strong, with the company selling almost twice as many kilos of weed versus the previous quarter, and boy, did they ever trumpet that. But the average price for dried flour dropped from $6.19 to, get this, $3.55. That's a 42% decline in pricing in just three months. Cannabis oil held up just fine, but that whole segment's come under fire because of the mysterious vaping deaths caused by adulterated black market THC oils that's cast a shroud on the entire industry. As a result, Kronos margins, they've been obliterated. And I don't know how they're going to necessarily turn things around anytime soon if you own the stock. Later that same day, Tilray reported, you know, I haven't liked these guys. And we saw the same dynamic. Lots of lower quality bulk sales. 
sales, pricing down nearly 50% versus the previous quarter. The only reason the stock didn't get crushed is that it had already been obliterated over the past 12 months. And then a week ago, we got a, another couple of pairs of disappointments. Canopy and Aurora. Canopy used to be my favorite pot stock, as you know, but the narrative started falling apart over the summer. And despite a management change, they haven't been able to turn things around yet. No, I'm still waiting for that big CEO announcement. This time, the company took a hit on pricing. But management tried to dismiss most of the weakness as a one-time hit as they tried to align inventory levels. Sounds like Macy's. Everybody was already bracing for a bad result. These numbers were so bad that the stock plummeted from 18 to 15 in a day. And remember where the stock came from, although it's working its way back a tad. I will explain about that in a moment. How about Aurora Cannabis, one of your faves? I know you've called on endlessly about it. Same problems. They saw a large decline in recreational sales with total revenue down 25% versus the previous quarter because there's just too much inventory in Canada. Some people say it's a 100-year supply. I kid you not. The biggest positive? Aurora's backing off some previously announced plans to expand its production capacity. Oh, heck heavens. That's good news. But it's not the kind of story you want to tell if you're like in a growth business. Long story short, the Canadian market is flooded with marijuana. Maybe they'll start calling that again instead of Canada. There's a huge club, but for the most part, the, the major growers haven't changed their plans. They still want to keep growing production, like the oil producers in Permian. Who knows? We'll just produce it. Maybe someone will buy it. They want to keep rolling out more, and I think it's kind of, let's say, to be diplomatic, lunacy. The whole cannabis cohort experienced another major leg down last week. But then the stock's bottomed a couple days ago, and since then they've been roaring, which is why I've been reluctant to say, get out, we're going to get up. Can't be up 15% today. Cronus up nearly 11%. What the heck's happened to breathe new life in this group? And, and should you be suckered in? Hey, what verb is that? You probably guess where I'm thinking. First, some U.S. operators are listed in Canada reported some decent numbers. Second of all, everybody's focused on impeachment. Sorry. The House Judiciary Committee just approved a bill to decriminalize marijuana. Yippee! Decriminalize. Go buy some? Not so fast. Third, yesterday morning, Bank of America... Merrill Lynch upgraded canopy growth very well-timed to a buy, arguing that the bad news is now baked into the stock and the newly lowered estimates are finally beatable. Could be. Fourth, I think all these positives set off a huge short squeeze that's given the pot stock some extra bounce because these ETFs have been pressuring it down, and the short squeeze may have some legs, but it's a short squeeze. I think you have to use the strength to lighten up the pot stocks. The problems in the Canadian markets are structural, and they won't be going away anytime soon. The level of oversupply in the Canadian market is astounding. The price drops are amazing. Yet other than Aurora, nobody's reducing capacity, even though there's already years worth of supply. As I mentioned, that 100 years number keeps coming up. The scariest thing about this is that the cannabis opportunity... Maybe it is smaller than we thought. Remember one time I thought it could disrupt entire food and beverage industries, but it hasn't been able to take off because of the law. And by the way, it turns out there are only so many people who want to smoke large quantities of weed. There's also issues about driving. Now, I suspect we may have to start viewing this like any other commodity, albeit a highly regulated one. Finally, marijuana is still illegal in the United States at the federal level, and that's what's really killing it here. Everyone's scared. How can they not be? I mean, one random arrest in the industry closes. It's encouraging to see that some companies like Green Thumb Industries are turning a profit in the states where it's legal. But Canada is the test case for what happens when you legalize cannabis nationwide. And that experiment, let's just say, let's not call it encouraging. The bottom line, the cannabis industry, it's got to be rational and rationalized. It's neither. Companies need to close. Funding needs to dry up. Mergers must occur. Until then, these stocks are now selling the strength detritus, a casualty of a market not yet ready for prime time or any time for that matter. 
paid much more mad money ahead. I'm going to be talking to Lisa Sue. Talk about money. I mean, she is just incredibly good, and we have weakness in the stock. Maybe it's a buying opportunity. Then even if you think Trump is bad or good or this or that, I'm going to tell you why his tour of Apple is ultimately a good thing. Jobs, good, and oil calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. I think you may be getting another but rare buying opportunity in advanced micro devices. One of my favorite semiconductor companies, which is also better known as AMD. Under the leadership of Lisa Su, AMD has transformed itself from a maker of second-rate processors and graphics chips into a high-performance chip maker that can go toe-to-toe with Intel or NVIDIA. And the company keeps taking market share left and right. That's why the stock's up 114% year-to-date. But AMD got hit today, sinking 3.6% after boutique research firm downgraded it Based on valuation concerns. You know what? I think they're missing the point. And the stock is a buy. So let's dig in deeper with one of the most bankable execs in the world. Lisa Su, the president and CEO of AMD. Dig better sense of the incredible story and the turnaround five years deep. Lisa Su, welcome back to Mad Money. Lisa, congratulations. It's been five years. Dollar 80, I count, to $39. Should we call that a successful journey or should we talk about product and success? You know, Jim, it's great to be here, especially with you here in San Francisco. Uh, Look, I'm really excited about, uh, you know, what we've done over the last five years. It is all about product. Um, As I say, you know, we are about bringing um, high performance computing to, um, you know, these great markets. And we've had a good run. We've had a good run. Well, so. it's more than that. You've done. You've inspired your team. I, I can talk about nuts and bolts. I can look at debt and leverage as another way to look at how you've made the balance sheet great. That was one of your priorities when you came in. Gross margins getting better and better. Uh, I know the holy grail is to get it to 63, 64. Could that happen? The key for us is to continue our focus on you know, product generation after product generation. So when you look at the markets that we are going after, you know, the data center market, you know, fantastic market. Um, everybody needs more computing horsepower, right. you know, gaming, um, PCs. And, you know, our goal is, you know, again, we're on a journey, um, but we've, we've made good progress on ensuring that we have leadership products. And, and with that, everything else comes, including margins, including balance sheet and, and all that stuff. Well, I want to talk about that because recently you reported a quarter. It was a really great quarter. And the stock goes from 33 down to 31 as people think it's bad. And then, of course, it goes right to 40 because it was a good quarter. There have been 14 dips, similar, 14 dips since you came in. All obviously opportunities since we're seeing you at all time highs. But one of the things I think people don't understand is the product. And we're going to go, we're going to take a travel on. You're going to take me around Italy. Tell me what you have. All right, cool. Well, look, you know, the thing about um, semiconductors and chips, and you know this really well, is, you know, we have to make bets, you know, three to five right. years in advance to, to really decide, hey, where, where is the world going? And so when you look at data centers, you know, whether you're talking about the biggest data centers that, you know, Google right. or Microsoft or Amazon build, you know, we want to be the guts inside that because everybody needs, you know, more computing horsepower. Right. So, so you create a Rome, you create a Naples, you create a Milan. You know my product well, that's names. my Italian technology. That's why I'm doing the travelogue. I think it's important because in order for people 
able to, to buy the 14th, 15th, and 16th dip. They have to know that Rome wasn't built in a day, but is loved that, by, right. by, by, by Microsoft, that, that Azure loves Naples, that Amazon Web Services loves Naples. These things matter. That and we got to tell that story because otherwise what happens, people say it's momentum and there's nothing there. These are just uh, revolutionary for not just AMD, but for anybody. We, we've made some really good decisions. You know, our roadmap. So now I have to talk about our, our cities. Thank you. It does go Naples, Rome, Milan. Um, we're right now in, in the middle of our Rome launch. It's right. our, our second generation data center chip. And what it really allows us to do is just do a lot more computing with less power and less cost. And so, uh, you know, when we think about... That, that is the holy grail. That you have is to, absolutely, people have to understand that. doesn't run hotter, cheaper, and powerful. That's right. It's all okay. about total cost of ownership right. in these systems. And, uh, you know, the nice thing about it is it, it applies to, to big and small things, Jim. So, you know, high-performance computing. Uh, we won... Um, the world's uh, you know, biggest installation that we, we're going to have with uh, Frontier at Oak Ridge National Labs. That's a huge supercomputer. Um, this is the stuff that you can use in your back office as well. And so we're really excited about the data center market. Well, I, I think that there are people who periodically think that the data center market may be not strong. Uh, Forrest Norad, CPU and GPU uh, head, says, said, used the word tremendous demand this week. I mean, that doesn't sound like anything. It's in cyclical decline. So we have, um, you know, this week is an important week right. in computing. It was uh, uh, the supercomputing conference, and we had a nice showing there. Right. Um, it is one of those areas where I think you're going to see, um, you know, basically secular growth in computing demands. Right. And you're going to do it in different ways. You're going to do it with some CPUs, some GPUs. You know, some um, specialty chips as well. And the key is we want AMD to be at the center of that. And, and really, you know, we view it as helping our customers unlock, you know, what they're trying to do. And it's a, these are the big ones, though. It's, Microsoft, it's Azure and Amazon. These are the most marquee accounts that you could have. A- absolutely. What we like to do is we like to develop our roadmaps with these, you know, um, you know really top customers out five years out. Right. And those say, are partnerships. Those are not are, make are it and they will come. That's right. These are how do we you know, change the world together? Right. That's what we're trying. And to I do. mentioned it because the notion of stickiness is something that I always thought about with Intel. Now, I've known you long enough. You've never thrown anyone under the bus. You actually never said a bad word about anybody as opposed to, well. Uh, <laughs> and, but we know that Intel put out a note yesterday which said that their supply is still constrained. Immediately, people are saying, well, what does it mean for AMD? How about we just step back and say, hypothetically, if a large uh, competitor is supply constrained, that has to be good for anyone who has supply. So, so let's talk a little bit about the market, okay. and then I'll come back to this. You know, the market for You're PCs. You're allowed to say the word Intel. I, I am? Yes. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll think about it. Okay. Okay, so the market for PCs is actually a really good market. Okay, it's one of these markets. It's a $30 billion market for silicon. And um, you need um, high-end desktops. You need, you know, notebooks. You need um, commercial uh, notebooks and desktops. That's what we build. That's what we build. And if you look at our track record, um, it's Ryzen. In right. the uh, PC space, we love Ryzen. Uh, it's a very, um, very, very balanced roadmap. And right. for the last eight quarters, we've gained share every single quarter. Which is really exciting. so. Um, I view this as an opportunity for us to continue to satisfy um, this incredible demand. And we're still, you know, we're still on the um, on the cusp of really 
you know, showing what's possible. You know, I'm really excited about um, the commercial PC market. I think that's a place where AMD technology can do very well. Right. Uh, we do very well with consumers. So we're coming right. up on Black Friday and Christmas. Right, and right. hey, if anyone's buying a PC, you know, I wouldn't mind if they bought AMD. But, but so, you should tell them what has AMD inside. The ones that they're probably big, the biggest name oh, you, you will see HP's, Dell, right. Lenovo, Asus, Acer. All of these guys have AMD in them. And if you want to build your own, a lot of the build your own PC guys, you know, you know, people like to tinker, buy one of our graphics cards and one of our um, Ryzen desktop processors, and you'll have a great system for gaming. Okay, I want to talk about game for one second, which is that a lot of people think it's small. Uh, Jensen Wong was on earlier. I know you know Jensen very well. It, it just seems like gaming gets gets bigger and bigger. It's a secular growth, very multi-billion dollar, not niche business. You know, what is great about gaming is just how many people it touches. Right. And, you know, we're not talking about um, one type of gamer. We're talking about how do you touch billions of gamers? And you think, you know, you can game on your mobile phone, you can game on your PC, you can game in the cloud, you can game in all of these places. And so we like to believe that um, we're a big part of that with our gaming infrastructure. You know, we're excited about game consoles. Game consoles is another place. Uh, with uh, Sony and Microsoft that we're very well partnered. So, yeah, gaming's a great market. Well, you've got You are a great engineer who is producing great product for a great market. Congratulations. Again, I'm going to mention $1.80 to $39. I don't have anyone else who's got that record. Thank you to Dr. Lisa Sue. I still like to call you that. She's the president and CEO of AMD and a hero to many. We have one back to the break. Thank you so much, Jim. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Get over the lightning round. I'm with John in Massachusetts. John. Hey, Jim. Love you, buddy. Go Wyoming Cowboys. My question is Abby. Had it since the break with Abbott. Hold or sell? I'm going to let that cowboy reference go because I like Abby so much. It's owned by my travel trust. Join the club. Find it out. Like the stock. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. How about we go to Connell in New Jersey? Connell. Yeah, hey, Jim. Uh, my son Connell has a question for you. Hi, sure, Jim. yeah, put him on. Hi, Jim. What was that stock? I just the show. So I took personal finance in high school and you put a stock on it, I currently own 15 shares of Lululemon, and I want to know if I should buy more or sell. I like Lululemon. I think it's going to be one of the retail survivors. Why? Because they have a fantastic omni-channel, and they actually are more of a cult about lifestyle and zen. Not zen desk, by the way. And that's why I like the situation. Let's go to Eric in Texas. Eric. Hey, big booyah from Texas, Jim. Nice to have you. Hey, I want to get your, pick your brain on plugs. Oh, man, my Medulla Oblongata is being picked as I speak. Um, I actually think the stock can go to four just on the strength of hype. Everyone seems to like it. I get constant references to it. And when you get that, it tends to go up another dollar. And then, kaput, John in Hawaii. John. Aloha, Brother Jim. Oh, mahalo, partner. Yeah. What's oh, up? Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank hey, you. I, I, me and my doc here are up here on the front lines working in medicine, and, you know, I read over all the clinical trials and these new drugs coming out. I wanted to know about Asperian. I've always liked Asperian. Yeah, we used to have Tim Osborne on. on. He, he ought to come back. 
Uh, you know, it got a little hype. Remember, it got a little too hot when it went to 100. They did the secondary and the anti-cholesterol. But it's fine. Uh, it's just you've got to be careful. The anti-cholesterol drugs aren't selling as well as they should. Keith in Florida. Keith. Hey, Jim. Hey, thanks a lot for working around the clock to make me money. Um, I like that. Inter- I like working around the clock. It keeps my staff awake. What's going on? I am interested in alarm. Um, Why? I, well, no, we don't want sec- interactive home security. It's just, no, it's too rife with competition. And competition, John Malone told us today in an unbelievable interview with Dave, with David Faber, we like monopolies. They don't have one. Trudy, and where my daughter used to live, Oregon, Trudy. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for helping us all. We love you. Oh, my. Okay. Thank you. My question is about... Uh, a very rare disease called eosinophilic gastroenteritis, which my husband suffers from, and in the um, intestinal convention of gastrointestinalis, there is a drug that presented by the name of Alkanos, A-L-L-K, and it is roaring. Can you tell me if it's too late to buy in? No, I can't. I've got to do work. You obviously know far more than I do. And this is the type of thing that if I cuff it, I will regret it. But we promise to come back. we got a little homework to do. And one of it will be yours. So let's go to Cesar in New Jersey. Cesar. Hello, Mr. Kramer. What's shaking? Thank you so much for taking my call. I wanted to get your take on uh, First Horizon National. Look, I think it's terrific. You know, we've been liking it for ages. It's probably started liking around 11. It's got up to 16. I think it should go to 18. I think Brian Jordan, remember, what matters is where are they banking? And these guys are banking in the wealthiest area of the country. Let's go and growing. Let's go to Omar in Illinois. Omar. Booyah, Jim. Uh, Booyah. From Windy City. I appreciate all the work that you do on the show every day. Thank you. Um, Thank I wanted you. to ask you about Alexion Pharmaceuticals. Oh, man, it's got this great mosaic, if not pastiche, of drugs. Everyone's always in it. Why? Because they think one day it'll get a takeover bid. Uh, my problem is it's $25 billion. That's too high. So I'm going to say right now uh, it's okay. It doesn't lose money, but it's not my fave. I need to go to Terry in Tennessee. Terry! Hey, Jim. This is Terry from the great state of Tennessee. Booyah to you, brother. Booyah back. Listen, listen. Got your books, read them, continue to read them, uh, listen to your program. You've been really a great blessing. Um, Right now, I'm wondering about Nokia. Uh, No, you know, sometimes companies with that. I had a great editor once when I was in Tallahassee, and he said, Jim, some things don't have the horses. Nokia, they don't have the horses. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. I'm asking for a favor. Can we please try to take political commentary out of the business section? There are some issues, like the trade war, where you can't afford to ignore Washington. But if you're looking at the stock market through just a political lens, you're going to get it wrong. What is the bogus controversy over that Apple event yesterday where President Trump toured a Mac Pro manufacturing plant in Austin uh, with CEO Tim Cook? So many Commentators who despise the president are wringing their hands, accusing Cook of basically participating in a political ad for Trump's reelection campaign. Are you kidding me? 
Look, love him or hate him, Trump is the president of the United States. Toria Factory in Austin, well, Toria Factory anywhere is the kind of thing any president would do. Uh, Obama, both Bushes, Clinton, every head of state loves it when businesses create jobs in their country. Apple spent hundreds of millions of dollars to extend its manufacturing facilities here in the U.S. That's a good thing regardless of who's sitting in the Oval Office. Now, the president may not have been crystal clear when he talked about Apple opening a new facility. They were touring a Mac Pro plant that belongs to Flex. That's an outsourced manufacturing company. But Apple just broke ground on a new office campus in Austin yesterday. The point stands. They're making some incredibly high-powered computers here in America. And they're also creating lots of new jobs. Does it help President Trump's re-election prospects when big business create jobs? Sure. A strong labor market helps the incumbent. But who the heck cares here when Tim, what's Tim Cook supposed to do? Honestly, what's he supposed to do? Only hire people when the Democrats are in power? <laughs> well, that's absurd. Should Cook have turned down an innocuous request from the president of the United States, even under ordinary circumstances, that'd be nuts. And these aren't ordinary circumstances. We're in the middle of a trade war with China that could seriously damage Apple's bottom line unless Tim Cook can get tariff exemptions from the White House. Even if he loathed Trump as much as some of the commentators do, it's his job to make nice world leaders like Trump or President Xi for that matter. When the CEO of the largest company in the world does a good thing and the most powerful man in the world wants to praise him for it, you know what I call it? I call it normal. It's certainly not something to gripe about. We've seen the same dynamic in the coverage of the trade war with China, too. Uh, And so many talking heads act like the Chinese government is the aggrieved party. And they're gleeful anytime China gets some leverage because that might hurt the president at the polls next year. And that is that's the light motif. But China's unfair trade practices have devastated American manufacturing. The People's Republic really is a bad actor. And more and more American executives are coming around to the view that something needs to change. You know what? Listen to Gary Friedman, the CEO of RH, formerly Restoration Hardware, which makes tons of furniture in China, but is moving the production elsewhere as fast as they can. Friedman's been emboldened to tell the truth, even if, yes, it coincides with the president's views. There's a major trade imbalance. Um, it's, It's important to correct that trade imbalance. We're funding... China's growth. Uh, and, um, you know, so we don't look at it. I mean, look, there's, there's always episodic things like this mm-hmm. you have to deal with. Um, you know, we're, we're taking the appropriate steps, whether it's sourcing some of our product outside of China. Um, I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to all work out. Last night, we got another leak from the Chinese that they're cautiously optimistic about the trade talks. And too many reporters uh, take these leaks from China as some sort of gospel. China, the PRC, I mean, come on. I think the story's way off base. The White House wants the Chinese Communist Party to make major changes in the way it does business. And until we get a serious show of good faith, not just a soybean buy, I doubt the negotiations will go anywhere. Buying a massive amount of soy or corn or any other ag thing, maybe it gets something started, but it's not not going to get you to the finish line. The truth is, America is winning the trade war. Hate them or like them, we're winning. Our manufacturers are making a comeback. Our labor market is on fire as companies like Apple are creating tons of new jobs here. When you look at this stuff through the prism of the economy, it's just plain good. When you try to analyze it through the prism of the politicians you like or dislike, you're missing the whole point. And until you admit and own your own bias, you're going to continue to do so. Stick with Kramer.
right, the oil stocks are making a bit of a comeback. And if you do want to endeavor to go into the oil patch, could you please do it with some company that actually has a yield? May I suggest the absolutely pristine BP 6.3% yield? That's the one to do. I like to say there's always more work this summer. I promise you to find just for you right here, man money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.